66. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife, but it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on nightmare time. So let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. I'm Kim. I'm John. This week, We've been ghost-napped. Which is to say that we are talking about uh, a bunch of kids that have been kidnapped by ghosts in their very own family home. So tragic. In their very own closets. We are talking about Toby Hooper's poltergeist, arguably Kim and I's, uh, not even arguably. Not even arguably. Totally (laughs) our favorite movie. The one movie we've always been scared to talk about on the podcast. We'll get into it. Uh, And also Steve Miner's House from 1985, a movie I've been obsessed with since childhood but before we get into it kim what's keeping you creepy this week well i don't know if you heard that audiogram at the beginning of this podcast john but we have joined the bloody disgusting podcast network that's they uh contractually obligated us to put that in don't every episode get used to it from now on we're so excited to be part of the bloody disgusting family Obviously, Bloody Disgusting is a huge name in horror. The original name in internet horror, right? The go-to for online horror news and and everything horror. And they got a bunch of cool movies that they've actually made, which is pretty fucking cool. Yeah, I'm sure you've heard us talk about VHS a thousand times on this podcast. We're very stoked to be part of the Bloody Disgusting Network with all of their amazing shows. As far as what that means for you, not much is changing. All of our episodes are going to appear in the regular feed. They're going to drop every other Thursday like normal. And we'll have those bonus interview episodes whenever we got something cool and new to share with you. Oh, man. October's looking real good. Like, I know know we're a few weeks out, but I'm real excited for uh, our Nightmare Alley episodes coming out around Halloween. Outside of podcast news, we uh, still have new movies hitting drive-in theaters. I mean, your local multiplex might be open. If you feel safe going to the movie theater, you go right ahead. Uh, Kim and I are still hitting up drive-ins, mostly because we have an RV, so we are unfairly equipped to uh, to have a movie night out. Last time we went to the movies, I made coffee and tea. <laughs> it was a triple feature. Yeah, we had enough time for lots of caffeine. Uh, we recently saw The New Mutants, which, believe it or not, is actually in the theater. It is real life. <laughs> it's taken two years to get that movie to the theater. And, you know, as much as I didn't love it, it one, it wasn't really made for me, but two, I'm real happy to see it get off the shelf. I don't think any movie that people put a lot of effort and time into deserves to just be locked away and never seen. Yeah, I'm a little sad that we didn't get to see the changes that were intended because I think this film, having now seen it, definitely needed some tweaking i just felt like and and as you said superhero movies are really not my bag this is probably the first x-men movie i've seen in a movie theater uh slash drive-in i think it's probably the first x-men movie you've ever seen let's be real yeah that's probably true yeah that's true 
which is which is fine yeah like superhero movies not necessarily our bag unfortunately you tell me that like oh yeah it's it's also a horror movie like i guess i gotta see it yeah it was just like twist my rubber arm yeah Uh (laughs) came out at the right time like if this had to come out in a in a month where there were four other horror movies going to the theater i might have just skipped it entirely yeah but the the dialogue was just not landing for me and the and how do you misuse my girl on you taylor joy right? i know oh boy <laughs> oh man she could have been great she's got a fucking ability where she just goes to a hellscape for fun and i didn't oh man I how was... is that a mutation <laughs> i just don't understand anymore I don't know anything about these characters. Uh, there, is, there is actually a really good review on our website, uh, written by Adam Donaldson, who has an understanding of the New Mutants and like where they came from, what the comic books were like, and his general consensus, which I'm seeing a lot of people uh, have, is that like this movie deserved better. You know, like the movie deserved better, the fans deserved better, these characters deserved better, uh, which is which is always unfortunate because you essentially are seeing on screen a lot of people that had doubts about the film and like changes that could have been made. Uh, even just the fact that we've all been talking about this movie for two years means that people did not have faith in it, right? Yeah, and and I think what's unfortunate too is that if this film doesn't do well financially, that these are all new characters for this world, and they're being they're all being first introduced. Yeah, this could have been like a platform for all of these younger actors oh, to yeah. have a standalone character that could go on to its own like branch of the franchise. Yeah, which I. I'm sure, like, I really felt like they were setting that up for Anya Taylor-Joy's character, but I, I doubt that's happening. Yeah, unfortunately. But, I mean, there's not a whole lot else playing at the theater right now. So, I mean, like, if you want some new content, it's out there. Uh, I, I would say check out Bill and Ted. That'd be my recommendation. See Bill and Ted instead. <laughs> oh, hashtag Bill and Ted instead. <laughs> If you're new to the podcast, every month we do a new theme encompassing the podcast, the website, all things Nightmare on Film Street. September is a haunting on Film Street, and we're talking all things ghost, paranormal, and the supernatural. Hence, this episode, Ghost Napped. Yeah, if you're oh, if you obsessed with ghosts and the paranormal, this is your month. Yes, so hit up nofspodcast.com and check out all of the fun, ghostly-themed editorials, reviews, and content that we're dropping there. And also, this entire month, we are doing a huge giveaway. Massive giveaway. We're calling it the Haunt Your House giveaway because we want you to stay indoors. We want you to stay home. We want you to stay safe. NOFSpodcast.com slash haunt. We are giving away over $500 in horror prizes. Uh, We have spooky haunted house Blu-rays. There is uh, Funko Pop Halloween advent calendar. Fuck yeah. And maybe the piece de resistance is the VHS board game Nightmare from the early 90s. We have an extra copy and we are giving it away to someone. Yeah, we are We are the kind of people that buy any copy of Nightmare that we find at thrift stores. So we've amassed a small collection and we we see no reason why it should just sit on our shelves. We, we want to give it to you to enjoy uh, because, oh boy, is it just some pure nostalgic oh, so fun. So good. And I mean, it's in pretty gnarly condition, but it's... I mean, they over... both are. We're not... It's not like... we <laughs> Even our own copy is not in great shape. But it's like over 30 years old, so I feel like anybody that'll get it will still be super stoked. And if the person that wins doesn't have a VHS player to play the game, the actual full length of the tape is on YouTube. Yeah. You don't even need the VHS No, anymore. you just need the board. But the I... tape is cool. <laughs> I mean, the tape's pretty great. You, the tape is pretty use good. it up for use it for your Instagram post. That's all you need it for. After that, <laughs> right in the goddamn bin. Get it out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so make sure you enter that giveaway at nofspodcast.com slash haunt. 
And lastly, before we get into the show, I just want to give a quick shout out to our most recent patrons, Nick, Klaus, Lexi, Caroline, Matt, Kim, Catherine, Zach, Mick, Michelle, October, uh, Parker, Rebecca, Jason, Kayla, and Steven. Thank you so much for your support. Uh, this, this house would not be clean without you. <laughs> you know, it's pretty cool that the whole month of October is sponsoring us. It feels pretty great. Yeah, you know, that feels that feels appropriate. I at feel this point. pretty darn spooky. I'm pretty charged now, yeah. And of <laughs> course, also I want to give a huge shout out to our our creepy co-producers, uh, Dustin Lewis and Dara Stone. Thank you so much for your patronage, and I hope you enjoy the hours of bonus content available to you at patreon.com slash nightmare on film street as just as a small thank you from us to you. Uh, for help keeping the lights on. Yeah, last week we dropped a bonus episode of our first thoughts from the Russell Crowe thriller Unhinged. And this Saturday at 9 p.m. Eastern, we are doing a Netflix party watch-along of something haunted and spooky that we're not telling you what it is yet. That's at patreon.com slash nightmare on film street. All are welcome! All are welcome! <laughs> get used to that. There's a bunch of it in this week's episode. Oh my word. And without further ado, let's get into Toby Hooper's Poltergeist. The house looks just like the one next to it. And the one next to that. And the one next to that. A young couple live in it. Give Ken a kiss. <laughs> you are so unlucky. With their three children. <laughs> and something more. Something's funny going on here next door. Something, uh... We were wondering if maybe you had experienced any disturbances lately. What kind of disturbances? I don't know what happens over this house. Poltergeist from 1982 is currently sitting at a 7.3 out of 10 on IMDb, 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. Roger Ebert gave it a 3 out of 4, and it currently has a 3.6 out of 5 on Letterboxd. 
Who boy. I'm a little trepiditious talking about Poltergeist on the podcast. Oh, sure. This is something that we've always kind of circulated in our, our schedule. We've always... It's always on the board. It is always on, like, the movies to talk about list, and it we, keeps getting pushed back. We even yeah, recorded one time... We sure did. A, this was early on in the inception of Nightmare on Film Street. We recorded a, like, a watch-along with commentary, and it was awful. It was atrocious. We didn't it, finish. It, it never saw the light of day, because it was just us being like, oh, this scene's good. Oh, this scene's good. <laughs> oh, this scene's so good. Yeah, you don't want to hear that. And that's part of the reason why we haven't done a proper episode on it, because, no secrets here, this is my favorite horror film of all time. I think it's the greatest horror movie of all time. Yeah, and... Like, not even personal favorite. I think it is a perfect horror movie. So, we we finally got it on the schedule. We're talking about it today, and we orchestrated it so that... <laughs> We are so fresh on the film, we literally just, just finished it. Woke up in the morning, made coffee, watched Poltergeist, also forced ourselves not to not say to a Not to talk to each other, oh my god. Because that's the thing, every single time we watch Poltergeist, we're essentially recording a podcast while we watch it. We've, we've talked about, we and, and that's the thing too, is that we've talked about this film to death. Yeah. Because we love it so much. Yes. <laughs> so I'm I'm a little worried how this episode's going to go and that we're just going to sound like huge fangirls. Um, Probably. But I am ready to talk about Poltergeist. Where do we even start? Let's start with the cold open. Oh, God, it's the best cold open of all time. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, let's, let's start with the cold open and talk about just like the aesthetic of it being a suburban nightmare. Right? Yeah, and there's something so great too about starting with the the broadcast signal ending. The national anthem. Oh, oh boy. And it's one, it's it's such a little time capsule because we all grew up knowing that channels would end. Yeah, that never happens. And now now they just play infomercials all night if they don't have programming. Oh yeah. But I remember clicking through channels with just the no broadcast symbol yeah that was weird that's how you knew it was time to go to bed <laughs> like i know the tone of it like in my head i know the tone of of no broadcast yeah which is such a great place to start an early technological based paranormal film yeah well yeah, also too like if you if you want to look at this as a uh ooh, american 80s suburbia everybody's falling asleep eating food <laughs> like every oh, that and like the dog the is our dog viewpoint through that whole that introducing whole the entire family yes we we're following the dog on his like nighttime rounds yeah like you think he's going to check in on everybody asleep like oh, i'm gonna give him a lick on the face let him know i love him no he's going in and he's just nibbling all the snacks every but he couldn't finish before they passed out. <laughs> but he, I mean, he does check on Carol Ann, which is very He does cute. check on, yeah, he checks but on Carol But she doesn't have any snacks. And you hear him go, eh. <laughs> like, the dog's <laughs> a little disappointed. But, and I think that's that's something that we can definitely attribute to Steven Spielberg, because he does such a, a good job of breathing heart and family oh, sure. into all of his movies. And I have to say that the Freelings are such a perfectly imagined family unit that yeah. like i myself don't really have any huge family ties like i'm not a big family nostalgia person normally in films that stuff doesn't grab me you trying to say All... you don't have a heart is that what yes <laughs> i am soulless and i don't like children 
this movie causes me to put all of that aside. Yeah. All of those feelings. And I am so invested in each of these these children and, and the, the couple and their teenage daughter. And like, I am so elated to watch this family. Yeah. Outside of like maybe some like tone setting music at the beginning, right in the cold open. Wh- what else is there in the in the first act that you would say this is a horror movie? This could just as easily be a story about a little boy and his dog. Right? I could. Wa- I would watch the whole thing. Oh, yeah. I don't yeah. like oh. <laughs> all, the, all the relationships between everybody, between Carol Ann and Robbie, just like a little brother and sister that want to play together between uh Craig T. Nelson and Joe Beth Williams. <laughs> They're incredible in oh, this movie. So good. Yeah, like uh what a what a weird marriage they have too, right? Because they put the kids to bed, they tuck them in. They're they're great parents. Let's just first off they're awesome parents. And then at night, they're smoking weed while reading, like, parental books. And, and also, he's reading a biography on Ronald Reagan. What a, what a weird, weird family. I love just how fun they are and that we yeah. get to we get to see them being fun like with each other right yeah like not just with the kids not just with the neighbors and their friends but like they they are having a great time just hanging out on a sunday night and they make a really great image of parenting because there's all these really wonderful heartfelt moments like when tweety the bird dies and then uh mom's discovered by carol ann trying to flush the bird down the toilet yeah they end up having to give like a funeral for it and that scene is so sweet and it's so heartfelt and then as soon <laughs> as put like licorice in the box right <laughs> in case he's hungry uh as soon as they get the the bird in the ground one the dog's trying to dig it up which is hilarious but yeah. two caroline's like can we get fish now <laughs> yes that, that is how kids roll like you're very sad for a second and then oh man new pet it's but like there's all these sweet monumental moments between them in that opening and then we also get to see like the the morning after the the paranormal earthquake mm. they are annoying as fuck oh the kids yeah and they're they're flinging cereal at each other and breakfast is chaos well, and that's, you get to that's see that's a both, steven spielberg move right but you there, get to right? see both sides of what parenting is like like you get to see those like monumental moments of being part of life and the creation of something else and teaching them the ways of existing yeah and then there's also just like noise oh yeah there's chaos like you see the the full fast like i feel like i've been a parent just watching this movie oh, yeah. like watching that's as close as i need to get the heartache of losing your daughter to ethereal forces <laughs> and and the pride you have watching your teenage daughter tell some like, creepy construction workers to fuck oh, off. oh i love that scene <laughs> that's a great scene like it's stupid <laughs> that she's got to do that like she's she's at her house like these are people that work with her husband like they they know each other and uh but it's great she didn't have to step in like she could see that and like, she's oh, just like yeah. watching from afar and seeing that her daughter can like defend herself and she's like oh so cool <laughs> right she's she's got such a fist bump moment in the in the kitchen there watching it happen oh it's so good those construction workers are assholes. Not just for that, but because he's le- literally leaning through the window, like, tasting the sauce, drinking the coffee, eating a cookie. What balls do that guy have? I feel like there's a subtle theme in the movie that, uh, that all of your hired help eats your food. <laughs> is that because the paranormal investigator, like, literally yeah. pulls out a whole fucking steak? Chicken wing, steak. I'm sure those cheesies weren't his. <laughs> no, yeah, he's eating Ritz crackers off the counter and shit. And then he has one spooky experience, and he's like, never come back here the yeah, steak was he gets, rotten yeah he gets the fuck out the one person you can trust in this movie is the person who brought her own flask i love her she's incredible are we jumping way too far though we don't have to jump but i mean 
just just accept that we're going to be all over the place. It's true. So our love for well, this movie knows know, no bounds. We're talking about relationships. My absolute favorite relationship. I love Craig T. Nelson and Joe Beth Williams. I absolutely love the sequences where we get to see them in their bedroom and uh, when they're all giggly and giddy and talking going the over neighbor. the neighbor. Oh, <laughs> so perfect. It is perfect. But the relationship between mom and the paranormal psychologist. Yes. Is. The greatest relationship in cinema. It is. It's it's so funny because it comes at a moment where we're talking about the heart of the house. Like, that's that's very much like the heart of this movie. Oh, the, I used to think it was so boring. Like, seeing, the first two, two oh. or three times I watched it, I was like, man, they whisper so much. And I just want them to get back to the ghosts. As a, yeah, as a kid, I was just like, mm, where's the haunting? Yeah. But the care and the tenderness between these women and in their relating based on motherhood. And, and we don't know if the paranormal psychologist is a mother. No. It doesn't matter. Yeah, well, Be- I, I think everybody there has been brought to the paranormal research because of something that's happened to them. Mm. We just we just don't hear what her side is, right? Yeah. But just the, the care and the, the genuine, like, just bonding between the two of them i i could watch that whisper conversation for two hours oh yeah and oh even them the next morning when they're like after oh some shit has gone down and they saw a bunch of spooky ghosts and they're just hanging out at the breakfast nook oh so hugging good. each other like don't like mark's not coming back i will be back yeah. like stay strong mm. oh it was good they're great they're and, uh she's great throughout the whole movie she's so wonderful and you, the thing is is you trust her because she comes across so genuine and you know all of these paranormal investigators are in over their head 10 seconds in that house they've seen more paranormal phenomenon than they have ever seen oh yeah in they're there. fucking bragging about being able to Took watch a seven car hours. seven hours to go across the now, board in you cannot detect it by the human eye but i recorded it on ca- time lapse camera greg t nelson slamming a budweiser at seven in the morning uh-huh. like seven hours huh okay yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> opens the closet door a light screws in on its own and lights up yeah a fucking record player is, is playing on off of a protractor for some reason <laughs> we don't know why but it's great magical right there's also that moment where um where joe beth williams is going into the closet where she's gonna rescue carol ann and the paranormal researcher uh like comes into the room and if like i was like why is that happening but i think it's just because there is somebody else on the other side that she's trying to reach and like this is this is her one opportunity to maybe go and find that person, but she knows she can't. And even even Zelda's Zelda Rubenstein uh, tells her to get out of the room. I thought it was because she cares about Joe Beth. And I, when, I, I, when I, Joe Beth I've always thought too. offered herself up to go into the closet, she was like, mm, her first instinct was to protect her because yeah. she's been working with her so over the few weeks. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I maybe that's just something. I think it's ambiguous. Yeah, what? there's I, a, yeah. there's a lot about this movie that's ambiguous. I think particularly in relation to the haunting and like the 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 visual manifestations that we get to see and i i'm really excited to talk with you like on the record about it okay. because i don't know if we've like, I, I don't really know your internal interpretations of Because when we watch it, we're just like, this is fucking great, Look right? how great this looks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ghosts. <laughs> <Boop>. <laughs> so, so what is it specifically you want to get into? So the the main point for me, and something that I, I've always just kind of chalked it up to, like, ectoplasm. Okay. The scene <laughs> where we get the first huge visual moment with the ghosts when there's that thing descending the stairs and there's all the lights behind it yeah yeah, and the camera's recording 
what we see on the playback from the camera is a whole bunch of spirits, like old timey spirits. Just they're like all wearing hats and, and stuff, and they're I, all walking through, almost like they're like boarding the Titanic or something. Yeah, that's a great way to describe but it. But what we saw before that was like one entity with a head. Yeah. And then there's all these like ectoplasmy like ribbons hanging off of it, and then the lights are separate. I don't think I've, I I thought of this previously, but watching this, maybe it's Carol Ann walking through the house and the ghosts are following her. That's an idea. Because I, I just, what is that huge entity? Because it's not the beast, because it seems very peaceful. You're talking specific. Oh, just, so it looked like, uh, it almost looked like one of the corpses that comes out of a coffin later in the movie. It, it, honestly, it looked like a lot of flowing hair around it and like a big billowy dress. But why did they get to see that? And then what they saw on the camera was something completely different. I mean, I'm not really sure why they were able to see one of them in particular, but I did notice that surrounding it were some like orbs. Yeah, no, I I, so I, I think, think the lights are what was captured on the camera. Like the orbs were the, the ghosts that we saw captured on film. But that the single lone entity, I feel like, is is something that was not captured on the film. I think it was maybe just like one, like if it, for to simplify it, maybe is like the one of the ghosts is like a shepherd, and the rest is the flock. Like, well, they were one saying of them though, was able to. Okay, the paranormal people were saying that because Carol Ann's got this this light about her, this yeah. life force, they're flocking to her and following her around. Yeah. And if she's just walking around the house, they're just going to walk around following her. But I, I feel like if it was actually Caroline, we would have had a bigger reaction from the family in the living room. Well, they, they were also talking about the idea, like when Zelda Rubenstein's character shows up. I love her. She's the best, right? Can you, you mind giving me a little space? You're you jamming know, my, my frequencies. frequencies. <laughs> I was telling Kim, this is, this is how she has to enter every party from now on. <laughs> we always show up fashionably late. We only come in when the entrance is crowded, and you say that to everyone. And I wear pearls. <laughs> right? You get your Jim Jones fucking glasses on. Oh my god, I love her. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> so she was talking about the idea that these these spirits don't know they're dead. Right? Like, mm-hmm. they are just in this dr- like eternal dream state. Because there's a whole bunch of living people just living their lives right, right on top of their graves. That's confusing them. It's jamming their frequencies. Woke them the fuck up. <laughs> so I think, uh, I think Carol Ann is just the beacon that is like, like there is a life force here, and if I can see that life force so strongly and I'm compelled to it, they're or following else, that instead of going into the afterlife or whatever. Yeah, and like that's how they wind up in the living room. But I think that's also what maybe helps remind them, like they're they're not necessarily remind them that they're dead, but that there is some sort of plane that they're on because they do walk around like they're looking at things, like they're in search of something. They're not sure where they are, but they're not scared, so they're not questioning it, so it's like they're in a dream. Yeah, and the film does a really great job of presenting a really good metaphor for that with the bugs being attracted to the porch lights. (laughs) You laugh, but it's totally true. It is true, it's there. Because it happens with the neighbor's light, and the bugs are attracted to his porch light, and they get bit by all those mosquitoes. They get bit by a ton of mosquitoes. Which is hilarious, but also when... Craig T. Nelson's boss comes to visit because he's been missing so much work. The porch light, like, goes hugely bright. Yeah, what you got in here? 300 watt bulb? You're attracting every bug in Cuesta Verde? Right. (laughs) 
Oh, he's great. I fucking love... So, I, I <laughs> it's so interesting that Joe Beth Williams has the parapsychologist, and, like, those two are just, like, so fucking tight, and they got each other's back. They're in this together. And Craig T. Nelson's guy is his boss. and his like, boss, shitty boss. Yeah, never listens to a word he says. Every single sentence he he has is, is said over top of Craig T. Nelson. Like, he asks him a question, and he starts talking again before Craig T. Nelson can even fucking answer. It is so good. Um, and he talks almost like an old guy on the phone who can't hear well and is just talking <laughs> in like one volume that's just a little bit too loud. You know what I mean? Just oh, like, yeah. what? Didn't nobody complain about it before? <laughs> <laughs> We're starting phase five. Right here. This could be your bay window. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's definitely not listening to Craig D. Nelson, not at right? all. Like, he's, just, he's just waiting for his turn to talk. But yeah, like their house is definitely that beacon that is that is attracting all the ghosts. Yeah. And I think it's the beacon because of Carol Ann. So you don't think it has anything to do with the location? You think it's just Carol Ann? I think it's like a a perfect unfortunate accident oh, that okay. uh, all of these bodies are underneath. There's a lot of life in Cuesta Verde. There's all these young families starting their lives. There's kids being born. There's children being brought up. There's a lot of life there. The first night when we're with Joe Beth and Craig. And they are in their bedroom after Carol Ann in the opening sequence when she talks to the TV. Yeah. Joe Beth says that she this was something she experienced when she was 10 years old and she attributes it to sleepwalking. Right. So oh, yeah, because then her dad get it, got her checked for hickeys and stuff. Yeah, so I think that the family has this hereditary ability that's that's maybe a psychic ability. Oh shit. And Joe Beth has passed it to her daughter, um, and she's obviously grown out of it. And so Carol Ann has this ability that she can not communicate with spirits, or but maybe she's she's a little bit more receptive to she's in tune. their presences. Because I'm assuming, and we find that out near kind of the ending, that all of Quest of Verde is haunted. Well, yeah, because like shit's all happening of, all, all through the street. That fucking sequence where they're trying to drive away and just like the gas main is broke and there's <laughs> fire and fucking like fire hydrants are exploding into the air. There's like explosions blasting at all the glass in everybody's cars. It's awesome. But like even the boss says that they, they cleared out all of uh, the entire valley was also a graveyard. Yeah. And the reason why I think the Freeling's house is the, the epicenter of this because there's this really dark entity that is there yeah. or maybe because all these spirits woke up the, the plane was like thicker than ever and he spotted this opportunity with this girl to maybe control this purgatory so yeah they're all in purgatory and he opens a hole between that world snatches carol ann and that's how the door exists in the house oh you don't think that that door was always there like you think he created it? well they say that he broke a hole through the universe that's or, true. Yep. or something so i'm assuming that it was just this like really unfortunate accident that we got this really evil presence next to this girl that has some conduit ability yeah and poof we have poltergeist the movie <laughs> you know what's great is that we are inferring a lot of this like we are we are picking up on small things because we've seen the movie because i've seen times. it four thousand times right <laughs> if this movie had all of those bits of dialogue and explained all of those things to that degree we would be bored with it I am only be coming, too much. Yeah, I'm only coming to these determinations because I watched the film so so. I don't many think we've times. ever talked about this stuff. <laughs> but I think what's so wonderful about that is that this film doesn't spoon feed you the universe it's created. No, because the majority of the film we are the freelings. We are introduced into this world where we do not understand anything, and even the people who are the experts, quote unquote. 
they don't understand anything. No, they've they're never all, seen anything like this. They're all surmising and interpreting based on a psychic's abilities or previous research. So nothing is spoon-fed to us, and we're not treated stupidly, and the the secrets aren't spoiled. The film is, is, it is what it is. I mean, the Freelings, they honestly do not care about this paranormal world. They just not want at all. their fucking daughter physically back. Yeah, they don't give a shit. They don't want to try and find, they, they don't necessarily care about researching it. They, they definitely don't want any of this footage put on 60 Minutes. No, they just want their daughter back. That's it. And once they get her back, they're like, cool, we're fucking moving out of here. Never yeah. again. Like, even though they, they are confident that the place is safe, we're leaving. I don't know why they get so confident the place is safe. They literally went under this beast ghost's nose, stole its one present, and then then we're just like, well. House is clean. House is clean. Yeah. Put it back on the fucking market. Let's get out of here. But they were like, wait, wait. We haven't done anything scary with the clown yet. Right? That's the one thing you always forget about. Every there are I never so... forget about the clown. No, I well, never no. forget about I never the forget clown. about it, but it's just like when it comes like, oh right, this hasn't happened yet. Yeah, because I always remember it happening during the tree bit. Like yes. clown, tree. Both scary, scary. Yeah, and the thing too about this movie, like the the, the tree sequence we'll call it. And the clown sequence at the end, the the scare sequences of this movie are so long. They last forever. It's not just like, oh, the tree broke through and grabbed a kid. And then the next morning we were like, what are we going to do about this? And then something took Caroline. And then this happened. Like everything happens on top of each other. And when, like, when the ghosts come for everybody, they fucking come. Yeah. And, and though they are primarily focused on Caroline. I think they're trying to get both kids. What I what I love though, that's very true. What I love though is that the whole family kind of gets to experience this haunting together. Like yeah. when the tree busts through and kidnaps the kid, Craig T. Nelson is running through the mud in the backyard. He's trying to get the kid from the tree. There's a fucking tornado. Like Right? A fucking tornado it, that doesn't take up anybody else's house? The sky is also haunted. Oh man. <laughs> it's insane how quickly the haunting escalates. Like, that whole sequence, and I guess it's kind of the midpoint of the film, where the son's kidnapped, Carol Ann's sucked in through the closet. They're in the fucking... The swimming pool! That's the beginning of Act 2. That's us breaking into Act 2. I'm telling you. It's fucking crazy like, i would it believe... shoots up to here yes like, we are we are 10 alarm chili <laughs> and we stay there the whole time yeah and like yeah, the performances in that whole section too are unbelievable like if super believable is really what i mean to say this like, is how you'd react with ghosts stealing your babies i believe that those are their kids the way that they react oh. especially the way she says the swimming pool oh the swimming pool <laughs> thank you <laughs> um <laughs> oh boy like there were scenes in this movie this time where I was like really watching it, really paying attention, where I was I was I was like in that parental fear that they yeah, have. And that's I was exactly just, it. I, I have... was just like, am I gonna fucking cry while watching Poltergeist today? And not even like during the emotional parts, during the scares? Like I was so scared for them, for their kid. Like that moment where they gotta pull the blanket off of the clown doll when oh they think it's God. their dead daughter. Oh. Jesus. I have, I have zero maternal instincts, but yeah. like this, th- yeah, this watch like turned a switch on in me that I was just like, why am I feeling things about this dead bird and the licorice? Oh man, there were, uh, there were fucking scenes when, <laughs> now I'm listing off all the spots where I almost cried. <laughs> 
where where they pull them through they, they pull Carol Ann and, and Joe Beth Williams, Heather O'Rourke and Joe Beth Williams through the other world and like they're covered in gross slime and the, the researchers go in to see if they're okay and Craig and T. Nelson cl- Craig T. Nelson goes, No! Like he he has to be the first person to like grab them. Like it's I don't know. That was like this is this this is hurting me a little. Oh, and then when when they start to wake up in the bathroom and the paranormal psychologist like pushes they them close the, the door and they give them privacy. <laughs> oh, they're they're uh, every everybody is rooting for each other in this movie. There is nobody who's there to like undermine everything. Yeah, if this movie there's was made, so many allies. Yeah, if there's... maybe that's why I like this movie because everybody is supportive of each other. Yeah, they're. Modern movie now, there would be a moment where one of those researchers tries to tip the scales to do something for himself. Like when they throw yes. him the rope, there's an opportunity for him to like climb up or for him to do something. Or like sneaks information to the media because he knows yeah. it's going to like blow up his career or something. Yeah. And it just, it's just like, that's like, they're, they're just putting more stakes in the situation, but like, Hey, you know what? Their fucking daughter is being like, like sucked dry by this weird demon the, thing. We that's can, enough. Also too, if this was made today, we would go into that, world this would be like an insidious situation like now, we would go into the further you know I, that's I, that's true but I, one of the things i liked about the poltergeist remake was when we got a little glimpse of that world and it was just like fucking like people on top of each other and just arms everywhere it was creepy i'm not gonna bring that up ever again don't worry I... we're staying with just poltergeist 1982 okay <laughs> I just all the talk we have about like if this movie was made today, like we can't ignore the fact that they remade it already. I find imagining that place and keeping it as something we can't see way is, more effective, and it's more accurate to. I, I, I'm going to say hauntings with quotes, but like sure. hauntings are about what you can't see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, there, if there is this other plane that this film is presenting, do not take us there because it it takes us away from the Freelings. The Freelings can't go there. Yeah. I mean, Joe Beth does, but <laughs> but we 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 can't go with her because it doesn't exist. Exactly. Well, not you know what I'm you know what yeah I mean. yeah yeah. You know what I mean. <laughs> it's great that it's this unobtainable place because if if it was somewhere you could go and somewhere we could go as the audience, the Freelings would be busting down that door. A thousand percent. They would be breaking the fourth wall and <laughs> and running through the set to get to that play. I mean, the only thing stopping them from doing that the entire movie is that there is literally like an invisible guard dog at that door. Yes. Because he keeps saying to them, it won't let you go in there. Like, you can't. Like, it's a cut scene. We don't necessarily see it. But like that one researcher gets fucking chomped by something whose mouth is like as big as Jaws. Yeah. Uh, fun fact. I'm sure we've talked about it before on other podcasts because I'm Poltergeist comes up a lot but when the final sequence where he's trying to get the kid back again the manifestation of that guard dog it's the MGM lion oh the roar yeah that's awesome I've I've forgotten that that's great yeah (laughs) I love that fucking face and it's because he's trying to pull the the, the cord back it's like no there's only one direction oh not that one the one at the door oh yeah not the skull of the closet that's my fucking favorite favorite a uh, ghostly thing that fucking like guard lion we'll call it that that is like just screaming at joe beth williams i love that and i think partly it's because i walked in on my mom watching this movie as a kid and i remember seeing that and going what the fuck <laughs> like, and she was just like no go away like, <laughs> do not watch this yeah there were there were two movies i remember my mom watching that i wasn't allowed to look at because they were too scary for me one was poltergeist the other one was golden child 
the Eddie Murphy movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, I got to get you to see that one. That's a weird one. Um, but like just talking about the idea that like you should not be able to see that other realm, that really makes, I mean, there's a lot of things that, that attribute to this, but like that really helps solidify to me uh, Poltergeist as like a really classical haunting movie. Like mm-hmm. a haunted, like a, like a, like something like The Uninvited or The Innocence, Turn of the Screw, like way back, black and white, classic horror movies kind of what i'm talking about rebecca and it's not like they it's not like they are showing you set pieces that you would say oh this is from this movie and this is from that movie but it has like such a classic haunted house feel like i almost feel like we should have paired this with like an old school oh, ghost movie. like when the hallway extends oh fuck oh it's so good it's incredible and we've seen it in a thousand films like the hallway extending thing is just it's it's like a a modern horror staple. Sure. And it's existed in, in horror cinema for 60 years. Oh, yeah. But... You kind of get it I, twice in that shot, too, I right? Where the... never not love oh, man. a long-ass hallway zoom. <laughs> I love a long-ass hallway. I also love just, like... The... And an impossibly long hallway. That's not even a hallway. That's just... Yeah. It's just a foyer, like, landing in the, in the stairwell. It's so perfect. And it perfect. turns into a hallway. Oh. Because them so ghosts don't want her to get in. <laughs> uh, and also, shout out to the rotating bedroom. I love... The 80s loved a rotating oh, bedroom, I right? also never not love a rotating bedroom. <laughs> oh, man, we gotta, we gotta try and come up with seven more of those to put a list in the website. Because, like, we've got the stuff. All of them are poltergeist. Elf, yeah, <laughs> poltergeist is, is there. Fronts every other poltergeist. <laughs> I also like that no one dies. In yeah. this movie. I, I honestly, I, I knew that we would be watching this soon, and I ended up tweeting about I it. I saw, and I was like, mm. But it is, though. It is <laughs> the scariest horror movie where no one dies. Not even the dog. Okay, so there's, right? a, there's a bird that dies, but it's a natural death. You had say nothing that. to do with the ghost. I think a ghost strangled it. Oh. Yeah, that's right. That was it testing its power out. Oh, <laughs> oh and maybe the fish, because they just disappear from oh, that yeah, bedroom. Well, I mean, they definitely got sucked into the closet, they're out of the water. Hopefully in the bowl. The bowl. <laughs> oh, like, it, like the, the bowl. It's existing somewhere else and in now, the ethereal yeah, world. Yeah, and now instead of following Carol Ann, the ghosts are following two goldfish into the light. I'm like, damn it, they took our daughter. Well, at least we got these little guys here. Hmm. Don't overfeed them. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Man, you know, even just talking about that bird, like, I, I'm sure I rediscover this shot. Every time we watch it, but just the shadow of the bird over top of the toilet seat oh. as it's being lowered down into the toilet. It like, oh man, the camera work in this movie is so fucking good. It's really great at just like keeping a camera still throughout half a scene and then slowly starting to pull in before something happens. Or like, or a reveal where you find out like, oh, by the way, we've been, t- this white picket fence. We're talking near a, a cemetery. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking on the bird too, just another great moment about characters when Jobeth is is descending the bird into the toilet, she's like carrying it by the smallest bit. Like she's holding one toe of that bird. Yeah. But then when Carol Ann discovers her and forces her to do the funeral, you can see her reluctantly holding the bird like so tenderly, like yeah. in her in both. Her... Yeah, cupped in her palms. Yeah, and she's like, you can tell she's like, oh, I do not want to be touching this dead bird, but she's doing it for her daughter. Yeah. And there's just something so wonderful in seeing the, these parents sacrifice for their kids like even like the thunderstorm <laughs> just... and craig and jobeth are having this like wonderful coupley moment and the kid comes in and he's scared and he gives him a piggy- piggyback ride back to his bed yeah i'm the wind you're the feather <laughs> and he teaches him not to be afraid of the storm and then he still... waits around long enough to see that his kid is doing is it. using it yeah. and then goes back 
the kids are obviously both scared. They both end up in the bed, and yeah. it, it just looks like the most uncomfortable situation. But you can just see them being like good parents. I also just kind of like it's it's she's got such a small role in the movie, uh, which is I think is smart because it's it's really how things would go. Like their their teenage daughter. Yeah, as soon as anything like happens, she's like, "Well, I'm fucking off to my friend's house." But when he's uh, after he's tucking the kids into bed, he he respectfully but but dadly, dadly <laughs> yeah, opens the door like good night dana um and uh and tells her to, to, to get off the phone and stuff she's awesome in this movie yeah it's really unfortunate too because i mean we would be it would be silly for us to not talk about like the poltergeist curse that she she passed away not long after this film was made she was murdered long at, like i was gonna at. say that uh her i think it was like an ex-boyfriend yeah, jealous ex-boyfriend fucked. Yeah, which is very sad because she definitely would have had a huge career. Yeah. Um, and I mean, same for Heather O'Rourke, who right. plays Carol Ann, who passed away in between before the third film was completed. Yeah. Hearing the Gary Sherman. You got, if you have, oh. if you have, yeah, it's real sad. So I think I cried. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like Cursed Films is on Shutter right now. They got a great episode about Poltergeist, but like, it's a bummer. It's so sad. It's a bummer. Yeah. And it, well, and it's just like a real medical misfortune. I think she had like a, a bowel problem or, or something and it just got misdiagnosed and misdiagnosed and it was just very unfortunate. Yeah. So sad. She was discovered shopping with her mom, I think. Steven Spielberg found her. She was literally just like this kid that he saw and he was like, you must be in Poltergeist. Yeah. <laughs> you must go to the netherworld. <laughs> you must go to the netherworld. Like, <laughs> sir, I'm trying to buy cereal. Please go. <laughs> oh, Mr. Spielberg. Hello. What was that about the other world? What? 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 <laughs> I'm really glad they didn't let him direct this at the same time as E.T. I don't think it'd be the same movie, right? Toby Hooper brings some fucking scares to the goddamn table. And, you know, with with the exception, like, we were talking about this being a horror movie that's got no scares. Sorry, <laughs> talking about this being a horror movie that's got no kills. Uh, like, you could you could pretty much, you could almost show it to your fucking kids, despite the fact that it's terrifying. terrifying. But, like, you, you, with the exception of one scene, could show this to any of your friends the that don't like horror. The cleaning room face tear? Yeah, the yeah. cleaning room face tear. Like, you might be able to get away with it because, you know, it's 1982 special effects. It's putty. It's, it's yeah, like, you, you can very clearly see when it becomes a prosthetic, like, fake face that somebody's tearing at, but it still, it still looks good. Once he finally, like, gets his fucking jaw off. And it's got oh. that, like, picking a scab thing. We're like, yeah. you know it's wrong, but you can't stop. Yeah, in, in your dreams, do you ever stop? Like, Ugh. no, all of a sudden you're bones, right? Oh, God. Oh, man. Fun dreams. Fun <laughs> dreams. <laughs> One thing we have not touched on that we have to talk about is the chair sequence. So, like, just, oh, man. just how wonderful Joe Beth Williams is when she dis- first discovers her house is haunted and she asks Caroline. She's Carol- so jazzed. And she asks Caroline, like, the TV people? <laughs> it's fucking wonderful yeah by the time craig t nelson comes home um she's mastered the ki- like the kitchen haunting oh yeah and she's just manic about it right like it's it's and wouldn't you because be? it's insane yeah it's and, impossible and there's nothing scary about it at first i mean no. yes it's scary your house is haunted but like there's something guaranteed in your kitchen that is impossible yeah um, and imagine just being high on that yeah, when was the last time, especially as a parent who's got bills, who's got kids, who's got responsibilities, like you had shit something to do. fantastical happen in your life. Yeah, like everything was just routine and hard and like you occasionally on Sunday night have an hour where you two can just like smoke a joint and laugh in bed, right? Like that's... <laughs> Pretend to be divers. <laughs> <laughs> Pretend to be divers. Before, after. Before, after. Oh boy, I love it. <laughs> um, 
I'm hungry. Like, so good. Oh, this family is so precious. And, like, you know, depending on what mood you're in, too, like, you can see a lot of of commenting on just, like, suburban culture. Like, the whole idea of, like, that gigantic uh, neighborhood that is just cookie-cutter homes going up. And people have been saying, like, all of these houses look the same. Well, in that scene, too, we're in the kitchen of and the Freelings house. And it literally cuts to the exact same kitchen. It doesn't kitchen. even cut. It fades. And you think, Ugh. like, maybe we've gone to, like, uh, like we're jump back cutting. Back in time. Back in time, forward in time. No, we are somewhere else in the neighborhood. But you would never know. And, and it just shows that any of these houses could have this secret inside could have this haunting this manifestation well also i think i I think we all have a weird feeling when we look at suburban homes and especially the cookie cutter let's talk about edward scissorhands (laughs) right well i i think the thing about suburbia when you look at it and how bland it is is that it doesn't care about people the individual yeah which is which is great when you have a builder for a movie which is for a movie it's it's great when you have a builder who literally doesn't even give a shit about the bodies that are buried on that ground right Mm -hmm. from moment one just like the concept of the suburban dream does not give a shit about. yeah he just put like new boxes on top of old boxes yeah or hired some people to then bury those coffins vertically like right because like, <laughs> when, they, when they all pop out of the ground it does look like they were buried the wrong way the ghosts have powers john oh it's so great i don't give a shit it's like oh it's, i do not care whatsoever it's the greatest thing ever like and at this oh, point it's almost God. like you you're so high on this movie because it's been wonderful and then the final sequence it's just like oh and now you're delivering me coffins coming out of the ground like oh, i do I not don't deserve, deserve this, this. <laughs> Do you know how much money I would pay to go to, like, a theater experience where, like, all it was was me trying to escape a muddy pool that I couldn't walk out of? But, like, corpses are coming out of the water and coffins are popping up out of the mud? I literally had the idea of doing a poltergeist mini putt that was just that. Oh, just boy. Just coffins that you have to hit the ball around. Like, oh, no, I got my ball trapped again and I have to investigate all these great props you Oh, no, you it's have. in the swimming pool! <laughs> it's in the swimming pool! <laughs> oh, I, oh, man, I love... I love that the neighbors come to rescue Joe Beth Williams. Like, they, they're they there, they offer yeah. a helping hand, but they don't go inside. Mm-mm. Like, mm-mm, no way. But it's great to just have that confirmation that they have their differences. The TV, the remote, the kookiness at the door. And when they hear her screaming, like, they cross the fence and come help her. Yeah. I, I totally understand why they don't go inside. It'd be weird if no, they... No, it's It'd terrifying. be weird if they did. Like, yeah. It's a good moment. It it is a good moment. It's it's so funny because you spend when you first watch Poltergeist, you spend like, why are we spending so much time with this neighbor? Like as as great as that scene is where they're 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 laughing, trying to like swat away mosquitoes while he's eating chili on a plate. Yeah, it's really. I think it's just uh, baked beans. You think it's just baked beans? Yeah, still a bowl food. Just and gonna... it definitely came from a can. Let's be real. He's and not his baking fuck... his own piece. And his fucking son is stealing some off of his plate. Like, <laughs> his son only came with him to the door so he could, like, quietly steal some of Dad's They hired food. a kid actor just to steal beans. Yeah, and they I split. don't know, Dad. <laughs> oh, it's good. It's I real good. I fucking love this movie. 
We could talk for at least another hour, I guarantee it. Yeah, because, I mean, clearly we have these really deep-rooted theories <laughs> from seeing it so many times. There's there's nothing about this movie that I don't think is the greatest moment in cinema. Like, ev- everything about this movie is perfect. I wouldn't change a goddamn thing. And they're, they're so fucking smart about everything they do. This is the only time we've watched it that I realized that they were thinking about where the music would come in during key scenes while filming. Because they're sitting in the... They're sitting in the living room and they're whispering and they're just talking about ghosts and stuff and then slowly they don't the, know that they're <laughs> the slowly especially as the sun wakes up the whispering gets a little louder and like there were some kids that i was that were bullying me at school once and i think that's just because that's where the music starts to swell in and we literally can't have them whispering over it otherwise we won't hear them and then they go back to a whisper as the music fades again fuck and even visually there's a lot of really great moments so a lot of this film has like matte paintings yeah like, it does especially oh, like yeah. when we're on the hill and we're looking down at Cuesta Verde but the there's a lot of sequences where a particular frame or a scene to end on was really visually thought out like when the we're touring through the town with the one guy that's at the football game and he's riding the bike with the beers the kids Dry, like get a mechanical car in front of his bike and he, he tips over yeah. but we see the bike torn up and these beer cans just spraying beer everywhere and the camera is like on the road and we are looking up at the whole town and there's just this wonderful visual of like town life that's about to get disrupted Yeah, and it's just beer cans and a, and a bike knocked over and he doesn't stop to, to touch them he just grabs the beer cans he can and runs into the game Oh, it's so good. but there's just such a great visual moment and there's a lot of really great shots that are just so visual Visually well composed. Well, I think it's also because of where they're placed sometimes. Like, especially that that matte shot where we see the cemetery and Cuesta Verde in, in, the, same, in the same frame, right? Uh, you know, it's funny as I was listening to... <laughs> This is so removed. I was listening to a podcast with Peter Bogdanovich uh, talking about his career, but he was also talking about uh, something that he heard from Alfred Hitchcock while interviewing him before filming The Last Picture Show, saying that you should never use an establishing shot to establish anything. Ooh. Right? Isn't that, like, insane? Like, because you think about just that cemetery sequence. What do we see? White picket fences, two guys talking, uh, and and the, the houses in development behind them. So, like, that's technically your establishing shot, but that's not really what you would consider an establishing shot. And we followed them we slowly reveal that there's a cemetery behind them and then we establish the cemetery has been looming over all of these people but since before they got there man it's great the music in this movie too like to come back to those whispers like uh jerry goldsmith's score is incredible like I'm I, honestly, it's a Steven Spielberg movie, so it's almost surprising that John Williams didn't have anything to do with it. And but I think Jerry Goldsmith brings some of that that John Williams flair, especially in like the wonder, like la la the la, lullaby. La. Yeah, Where it's a movie about like the at the heart of this movie is like a, a four it's a year movie old about girl. That is her song. It's almost like you could literally call it Carol Ann's theme in your head. It probably is. Like, we should get this on vinyl, right? Yeah. I guarantee it's called Carol Ann's theme. But, like, it, it can turn and twist so fucking dark so fast. Well, at the end of this movie, if you hang through the credits... Oh, boy. <laughs> I don't know if we've ever done this before, but there is, like, so much talking and chatter at the end. I think it's laughter. It's fucking scary. Because it, it's the choir that's doing the la-la-las, right? And, yeah, it gets it gets. It's terrifying. It, it It's so scary. Like, and the thing too is what's so perfect. If you're watching this movie at night and you fall asleep, that is what you hear before the movie oh, cuts out. Oh, shit. And the movie starts with TV cutting out. Oh, like, how perfect is that? 
Fuck. All right. We we could literally talk about this forever. I know. I've got so many other things that I could bring up. But like, hey, you know what? I don't see any reason why we can't do another Poltergeist episode in a few years. <laughs> Poltergeist part two. Right. But part one. <laughs> yeah. Part one, part two. Um. So yeah, ratings. This is going to be pretty obvious. I'm a four out of four. Oh yeah, four out of four. Clear four Immediately. out of four. So like four out of four from from moment one. It is the perfect horror film. It is so well crafted. The characters are so well envisioned and so compelling and just they're such a beautiful family yeah and it's also scary as shit like that's the other thing and it's scary as shit yeah it's it's insane that this is the guy that did texas chainsaw massacre 2 like yeah okay texas chainsaw massacre 1 sure you know it's another house of it's another story about a a house where some terrible things happen but it's it's hard to say toby hooper was an underrated director because we all think that his movies are the greatest movies of all time but like holy shit this guy uh he did something wonderful with Poltergeist. Yeah, and I and I think there's something too to be said about the marriage of the two of them with Steven Spielberg. Absolutely. Because a lot of this movie feels like a Steven Spielberg film. But yeah. We've never seen Steven Spielberg go this dark. I would never. You would never see Steven Spielberg do this. And, yeah. uh, and like the the reason it feels so Spielbergian is because he produced it because he wrote it like of course it's gonna feel like a Spielberg well, movie. Well, and I think all of the the like the nostalgia and like the kids' rooms and all the Star Wars and stuff the talking like, over each other at the, the breakfast table so Spielbergian. <laughs> Spielberg. <laughs> yeah, I mean movies are a collaborative effort. It's not like one person does everything. Of course, it's going to have the flair of everybody involved. It's it's such a good movie. Uh, I'm so happy that we didn't just gush this. this. I mean, we kind of gushed. I know, but we at least talked about we had we had and... we had something to nibble on a little. Of. <laughs> we thank you very s- much for bringing that. <laughs> we talked something about other than just ghosts coming out of the swimming pool. The swimming pool. Oh boy, we didn't even talk about that that matte shot of the uh, of the clouds. We did talk in. about okay, matte shots. Okay, okay, we okay. We did, we did, we did. <laughs> and we said the sky was haunted because the sky was haunted. <laughs> Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yep, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about another ghost kidnapping kids. <laughs> Let's talk about Steve Miner's house. This is a house where no one should live. Roger Cobb has come here alone. But no one is ever alone in the house. Leave while you can. No! Sandy. Horror has found a new home. House. 
enter at your own risk. House from 1985 is currently sitting at 6.2 out of 10 on IMDb, 62% on Rotten Tomatoes, and 3.0 out of 5 on Letterboxd, which pretty much means it has the same score across the board. It's funny, too, because especially the user ratings, like Letterboxd and IMDb, you'd expect them to be a little bit higher because... Especially among genre film fans. You talking about nostalgia? You think it's got that nostalgia bump? Well, this is a very beloved film. I know a lot of genre fans who grew up with this movie because it it kind of borders the the line between silly and scary. Yeah. So I think a lot of parents would just like walk in and out of the room and they'd see like a goofy monster and be like, oh yeah, it's fine. It's just like But as as soon as they fucking leave, it's just like this horrifying (laughs) closet. Like, I I don't know, or raccoon is what he calls it. (laughs) But it's just like faces smashed together. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty terrifying. I'm really sad because I did not grow up with this movie. I know you did. Which blows my mind. I know. I don't understand it. I don't know what happened, but I need to redo my childhood over. (laughs) Don't we all? This movie is such a bonkers fun roller coaster that I feel deprived. I feel... You feel let down? I am very unhappy <laughs> so you mean okay so this is funny like we get a time machine i go back in time to go see the clash in concert you go back to like sneak a bootleg copy of <laughs> to house. watch house at nine years old yeah you're putting it in like a, a disney clamshell case of pocahontas like here this, this is just for you little girl i don't pocahontas know why <laughs> too nobody watches that one john smith isn't in it no one watches it like i don't even think the raccoons it's probably all raccoons by that point right she doesn't have her tree i mean there is ample wow they took everything out of pocahontas yeah, well, she too. goes to the new world and then she's with some new guy which i mean i guess is apparently what really actually happened but there's no fancy tree i mean there is a lot of pug action that yeah. pug is there a lot i think and like he teams up with the raccoon why do i know so much about pocahontas too when did you first see house uh well it was around the time you were watching pocahontas too that i watched house two for the first time like my, i love house two <laughs> but my introduction to this franchise was house two i guess my parents were they they knew this one silly and goofy you can start with this and if i didn't get scared by it that i could watch house uh and yeah like i i ended up watching house two more i think that one's perfect for kids because house two is very much a comedy that like oh by the way like it bookends itself with like a scary villain house one though has the perfect blend of of comedy horror but like i would i you know i would never list house as a horror comedy it's just a horror that's just like pretty goddamn funny right yeah there's something really unique too about house because the character designs and the actual ghosts are so outlandish there's something terrifying about the fact that they are goofy looking. The way they fucking laugh too, right? And the, like, the, there's something just completely unnerving. Like, nothing in the natural world could make these. And yeah. so, like, well, at first your knee-jerk reaction is like, pa ha ha, that witch character is hilarious. Then you're just like... But why is she so big? Why does and, she know how to use a shotgun? And, and like, why is she? Why did she put lipstick on before she came? <laughs> <laughs> she's got the creepiest goddamn voice. Where she's like, "We're gonna kill your son, Roger." Or her laugh is like, it's, it's a lot. It's, it's nails it's, on a chalkboard. Yep. <laughs> this also is the. It's it's so crazy to me that as that I really enjoyed it as a kid because it's so fucking dark. Like I was probably the age of the child that gets abducted in this movie abducted he gets he gets ghost snapped he did get abducted by the medicine cabinet (laughs) he becomes a prisoner of war for like two years 
That's so true. His son has more war experience than he does. <laughs> He's like, why is it taking you so fucking long to write this book, Dad? I can oh slam God. this out in a weekend. <laughs> if it's been a little while since you've revisited House, because we're just steamrolling through this entire movie, uh, Roger Cobb is our resident Stephen King. He's a celebrated horror writer who's taken a big Cobb's break. End. <laughs> yeah, right? He's uh, he's a celebrated horror writer who's taken a detour to write his memoirs. He's got to get this 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 his own nightmares off his chest, out of his head, onto the page, but nobody seems to be Which interested. No one is excited. No for. one wants to read a Vietnam book in 1980. I absolutely love the signing scene because it's just this fun little flash of a bunch of POV characters of just Who's of your favorite? Who you assume to be Stephen King's best fans, like the people that Stephen King actually has to deal with. Oh, yeah. There's the guy who's talking to him for like four people oh, back. The woman that loves his wife, his ex wife. Watches every single yes, one of her shows. And he's just like, can you just tell her I love her? And he's like, it's my ex wife. My, my favorite person is just like the weird three piece button suit bank clerk looking guy who just goes, I will cherish this forever and walks away. <laughs> like, what a weird day. He's also on a bit of a hiatus because his son was kidnapped by ghosts, we learn. And the thing is, is that we don't really know that until he's in the house and he starts having these flashbacks. We don't really, at first, understand what went on between him and his wife because she's gone off now. She's got a successful acting career. She calls him from an award show. Yeah. And... We don't really realize what the rift was between them until we get flashbacks in the house of like, whoop, your kid's gone. Yeah, they it, they they seem like they still get along, right? So, like, but there was just like, you know, that thing that's just like too big and like it can never be the same again. But like, we still love each other. But like, it's your fault that the kid is dead. Yeah, and well, that's the worst part too. Is like they don't know if their son's alive like, or dead or holy whatever. Shit. Do you know like what would have happened to the Freelings if they hadn't have gotten Carol Ann back? Oh my god. Well, I mean, we got to look at what they look like after just like a few weeks. But they were so in love. Oh, you oh, you're talking divorce. I don't want to think about that. Right? They you can't break up that power oh couple. Oh my god, I'm so <laughs> sad now. Okay, no more alternate universe poltergeist because I just, like, can't handle it. Hey, I mean, I, you know, I think this movie ends with a happy note where, like, the kid comes back, she shows up in the taxi cab, they all smile, credits. I think, I think the family's back. I think mm. everything's been mended. Do you think he's going to continue to write his memoirs or do you think he's just, like, done with the the dark period of his life. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Like, House is a story about a guy who has PTSD, who it, it's it's really coming out to the surface, it's bubbling up, boiling over, and he literally can't go on with his life until he confronts these fears. I don't think he needs to write that book. Like, I think I think the problem is that every time he goes to sit down, the, the thing that's, like, the, what is it, a monkey that's sitting on his chest? What do you call it? The elephant in the room? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. There's <laughs> there's a hundred pound fucking corpse sitting on my chest from Vietnam oh, it's a monkey with a on bullet belt. Yeah, it's monkey a, on your back. Yeah, what is it? Anyway, there's something sitting on your chest is, is usually what people talk about. The <laughs> sleep paralysis demon? <laughs> that's it. <yeah. laughs> the shadow people are keeping me down. Um, I don't think he needs to write that book anymore. By the sounds of it, no one wants to read it anyway. Like either like the all he needed was just man. There's so much going on in this movie. It's so wild that like this is a movie that lots of kids enjoyed. <laughs> 
But no, I, I don't think he needs to write that book. And I think the the reason he hasn't been able to write another horror novel is because the real scary thing, like he's his nightmare reserve is tapped because all he can dip back into at this point is is this horrible memory he has of a time where he almost died. He watched a friend of his get carted away to certain death where he knows he was tortured for weeks before they finally mercifully let him die. Yeah, and I think it's kind of a proxy to for his failure to act and his yeah it's with his son too right yeah so his failure to act in war is the thing that he can kind of look at when he's kind of peripheral looking at the fact that he lost his son and he had no power there yeah and like it's hard to say like killing your friend is is the right decision he should have made right oh man (laughs) because that's very ambiguous too so like maybe we should talk about what happened in vietnam sure yeah um Both of these scenarios are things that, like, it's not your fault that this happened, and, like, there's nothing you could have done about it, but he still shoulders their responsibility. But he's a dad and a man. And a man! And, uh, yeah, when he was in Vietnam, he was out on a scouting mission with, um... Fuck, I don't know anything about... One, I don't know anything about cars. We've we've established that in the 200 episodes of this show. And two, I don't know anything about war. <laughs> I don't know... Are cars in... We have anything to say about cars? I don't know why that came to mind. Okay. These are just my own personal problems. <laughs> well, you can also add sports in there. Yeah, sports. I don't know shit about sports. I, I have a rough understanding of hockey, but that's just because we live in Canada. <laughs> you were born with it? Yeah. Maybe he's born with it. Yeah. Maybe he's Canadian. Exactly. <laughs> so he's, he's uh, I don't know, walking in the jungle. <laughs> I think they say you got to take point. I think the idea is like, we got to get from point A to point B and, you know. Don't die. Don't die. Unfortunately. And what do they do? They, oh, <laughs> boy, did they get attacked. It's like, okay, so the rest of us are going to follow your footsteps. But you guys, we're calling you Operation Human Shield. That's that's what's happening in this story. He's walking Operation the jungle. Fleshy Scouts. <laughs> yeah, the Fleshy Scouts are going. They're out in front. And they're essentially just like looking for danger, booby traps, mines. I don't know how you look for those other than blowing up and telling the guy behind you don't step here <laughs> but that's what they're doing um you know they get attacked by the uh, the vietnamese and um at a moment when big ben his buddy this big six foot five larger than life goofball who's just taken too many goddamn risks with his own life begs him to kill to kill him he gives him his knife and he says, I'm going to die. I'm injured. You can't let them take me. They're just going to torture me. You got to do it. You got to kill me. And he can't. He he just can't do it. And that's fucking dark. It is very dark. I remember as a kid understanding what was going on. Like there wasn't any sort of like I rewatched this 10 years later and went, oh, my God, I never got it. I fully understood what was happening. One, it was just like so horrifying that they were in war. And your mom goes like, how are you liking your ghost movie, honey? You want some juice? Uh, (laughs) Mom, can I never go off to war? (laughs) Yeah, I think I've graduated from juice to whiskey, mom. Thank you very much. It's been a rough afternoon. Oh, boy. But yeah, like he 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 can't kill him. Even as a kid, I understood that like wow, it was it's it's merciful to kill him in this moment. But that he couldn't do it, that was so fucking rough. And then to also see him get carried away and <laughs> scream, like, "I'm no. gonna kill you, Roger! <laughs> this is your fault." He takes. He takes the pity murder rejection very hard. <laughs> yeah, real hard. I mean, it's dark. Is what I'm getting at. And and Roger Cobb has lived with that his whole life. Um, you know, he wasn't able to, quote unquote, help his friend when he needed it. As, as, as awful as that help would have been. 
And uh, I'm sure that whether or not he found out later on that he was kept for weeks and tortured, I'm sure he just knew that that was that was what awaited him. Mm hmm. So, like, on, on his darkest nights when he's thinking about the horrible things... He, he's either thinking about the horrible things that have happened to his son or the horrible things that have happened to his best friend. Yeah, and the the crazy thing, too, because Ben becomes the, the big bad at the end Fuck of the yeah, he does. He's the, I would say, the main ghost beyond the witch who's kind of the recurring ghost. Yeah. Who we will talk about more because she's amazing. Okay. yep. But the, the it, most interesting thing I find about Ben is that he is actually tied to Roger's real life. Okay, sure. Yeah. He so like the house creatures in general, we don't know who any of them are, what they are, where they're from, what their story is. They could just be never human things, like little demons or whatever, like there's a little boy, there's the witch character, there's the crazy thing in the closet, like yeah. there are a bunch of just wacky out of this world characters, but then when you have Ben, he's this like skeletal deformed army man who Roger knows. So Either the house is a subway stop in the netherworld and like ghosts can come and go as they please and it's all interconnected. Any ghost can appear in this house. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, totally. Whereas initially at the beginning of this movie, because reminder, I did not grow up with it. And so like, <laughs> I watched this like a film and let it surprise me. Uh, I just assumed that these were the zany ghosts that haunt this house. Yeah. And like, everybody sees the same ghosts. Yeah. And then when he had a personal ghost, I was just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. How big is the <laughs> netherworld in this house? And I think it's just like in, in behind that medicine cabinet is like, the great beyond fuck that reveal on the medicine cabinet is so, so good. good so good so good <laughs> i don't i don't even remember how he came to the conclusion that like maybe there is something behind that medicine cabinet forgive me for forgetting that but when he throws the goddamn chair and it just darkness oh boy oh boy it's so good we love like stupid impossible shit like that. And then when oh, he, yeah. he peeks his head out the window and it, <laughs> yeah. it's just wall, you're like, yeah, prove it, boy, prove it to me. <laughs> it's it's like the version of when uh, magicians do a trick where they, they show you something and they turn it around. So you see like, oh, it's definitely a real box that doesn't go on forever, but it's got movie magic behind it. <laughs> Still works. Still works flawlessly. I don't, I the ghosts though, I think the house has moves. Like I think I I do think some of these ghosts are house specific. Yeah. Based solely on his aunt. By the way, his aunt has committed suicide <laughs> in the house. Yeah, because she becomes like a tool in their box. Definitely. Because they definitely call upon her her visual apparition. Yeah. Because I don't think she purposely ever visits him. Maybe the one time where she like she hangs her house him. and disappears. Yeah. Because that was really good. Because this was her <laughs> house. He grew up there but she had recently committed suicide and that's uh, why he's, he's he was intending to sell it but sort of looking for a retreat and seclusion. Seclusion. Yes. <laughs> he takes the house off the market so that way he can use it to to write the book. But the, the house is still full of paintings that his aunt made. Including... One, including paintings where just, like, shit is swirling around the room. She's about to walk into some bright light in the closet. And there's a there's a picture of his son in the medicine cabinet. That's how he thinks about going into it. I just remembered. Uh, but there's Don't forget a, the garden tools. Exactly. There's another painting with the garden tools, like, floating around a dead body that's, like, turning into sand. And those garden tools show up. Those garden tools are maybe 
maybe my favorite little part of this movie. They're the best gag of the movie. Yeah, because they hunt him down. That fucking shark fish or whatever, the swordfish. Swordfish is good. Yeah. (laughs) Swordfish should not work so well. It doesn't even, it doesn't come off, it doesn't come off the wall. It just flops around. I love him though. Moves his creepy fucking eye around. That's real effective. Oh man. Should not be as creepy as it is. No, it's, and it's just so good because the swordfish itself is the ghost. Like, yeah. there's no ghost, like, manipulating the swordfish. No, it's the, so- it's the it's the swordfish. He shoots it, and it screams, and then <laughs> its eyes go dead. Aww. You know, maybe that's part of the reason why this movie works for kids, because you go to a, a relative's because house. kid ghost logic, or? <laughs> well, kid ghost logic, but also, like, you've been to a house as a kid where somebody has, like, an animal up on the wall, and the whole time you're just like, yeah, this is fucked, Right. And you're, like, watching it because you're, like, it's gonna move. exactly. It's gonna blink. Yeah, I I guess that's that's, that's a credit to the the taxidermy uh, artist who made it. (laughs) Um, But but it's still Congratulations, this dead thing looks like it was an alive thing once. Except it doesn't have a body anymore. But you stare at it as a kid. You're just, like, waiting for it to move. I did, at least. I'm not gonna put words in your mouth. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) I concur. Those garden tools are great, though, because they chase him around the house. One, he uses them to save his own life. Smart. He, o- he opens the door, and they lunge out at the witch to, like, cut her head off. But my favorite part is that when he's leaving the and bathroom, oh, so and good. there's just, like, a knock on the door, <laughs> and when he opens it up, there are the garden tools again, ready to fight. They're so polite. Okay, so alternate theory. Okay, to the what, whole movie. Yeah, what if it's not actually Ben? What if it is just another ghost? And it's just tapping into his fears. Yeah. I mean, it's a theory. I mean, it's possible. Sure. Okay. Yeah. All right. You going to elaborate anymore? Nope. Okay. That's all I got. That's it. <laughs> well, at least we've, we've, we've exercised that option. It's on the table, and you can choose to accept it if you wish. Uh, before we get too far into this, and by before we get too far, we are already too far, and I want to bring up yeah. the neighbor girl. Tanya. <laughs> oh, t- what is going on with Tanya? So- she says, but we don't have the aunt to verify this because she's dead. She says that, like, the aunt and her were chums. There's no possible way they were friends. Just, <laughs> she, just based on the rest of her behavior. And she just comes by and swims in her pool occasionally. Yeah. Obviously, Roger is into her because she's beautiful. She jogs. She's athletic. She's kind. They both have weird, deep V-neck cut outfits. They they both really like Jerry Dandridge. Yeah. What is up with the sweater game in this movie? Don't you insult the sweater game. I mean, it's good. Don't give it. They look comfy. But <laughs> I mean, a, a neck that V'd, please wear an undershirt. It's, it's a humble brag or, to wear that sweater with no undershirt. Or a really large male Medallion. symbol. Medallion. <laughs> I'm sorry, we watched a lot of Austin Powers recently. I can't. <laughs> yeah, Tanya's crazy because she also she she basically like quietly seduces him. Like and in in the sense like I'm coming over later for some fun. But like what is her end game? Because well, she, she Her end game is that just she needs a babysitter. She just drops her kid off and like, "Hey, here's my son. He likes fun. You said you like fun. Have fun." Here's his bath toys. Yeah, here's you don't know me. I don't know you. Here's my son. Give him a bath. Put him to bed. Oh my god. What? And <laughs> so because I guess Roger's got no backbone, it it all just goes that way. He ends up babysitting this kid. He's trying to write write his book, and the kid is just watching the trashiest soap operas. I think it's his wife's soap opera, so you hold oh, shit. on a second I'm so right there. sorry. 
And then immediately, like, that kid is in the house for, I don't know, eight seconds before the ghost decides to start murdering the child. Like, the, the hand that he has buried, he cut up that witch's body and buried it all around the backyard, but the hand came back out and is immediately trying to, like, kill that little boy. I love it on his little back. Yeah, and it also, it, it does the great thing that, that Evil Dead 2 does where the hand makes sounds like it's got a mouth, like, <laughs> love it. Gold. I don't know why we keep trying to, like, come up with theories for how the ghosts exist, but, like, don't you think the witch ghost is, like, a weird, crazy version of his wife? I mean, maybe I'm saying that because she, because appears, she appears as, his, as wife. his wife normally. I mean, maybe, but also, like, the closet ghost is also as recurring as the witch ghost. Um, He's trying, like, he feels like that's the main ghost he has to thwart almost. Because it's tied to, like, Midnight on the Clock. Yeah, Midnight on the Clock, and it's in his aunt's painting because she's going into the closet. Or at least yeah. it looks like there's a portal in the closet. Yeah. Is he, like, the guardian? May oh, like the these? gatekeeper? Yeah. Maybe. Because in Poltergeist, there's that one beast that blocks the door. Yeah. And they're almost very similar ghosts. They oh, both yeah. have, like, that skeletally sinewy face thing, which is t terrifying. Um, you know, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, uh, he's a horror writer. Like, what if, what if these are creatures that are from his books? We oh, that's interesting. We just don't have enough time to go into it. Yeah. Hmm. And then there's also, like, the creepy kids, which, I mean, he's- Who are fucking frightening because insane, they show up for right? five minutes and try to pull the baby up the fucking attic. Oh, that's right. Yeah, there's, like, a tug of war going on in the attic with that little kid. I Her fire I... chimney. Chimney? Why do we keep saying attic? It's a chimney. Yeah. God. We don't, we don't know anything about houses either. Damn. <laughs> All right. <laughs> don't say that in the house episode of the podcast. <laughs> We're house experts. As yeah, long like, as they're haunted. I don't know if the... Like, well, I mean, the ghosts have to... Oh, damn. Did his aunt see the same ghosts? <gears> oh, man. I don't know. Yeah, she did, because she saw the tools. She saw the gardening The, the tools. tools aren't ghosts, though. <laughs> the tools... But is the swordfish... Therefore, the tools are. Hmm. We're going to have to table this conversation. <laughs> You've been beat. Yeah. Okay, so something we haven't talked about yet. His fucking amazing neighbor. Yes, George Harold, played by George Went. He is the best guy ever. He's like the best worst neighbor. Oh, like, yeah. I would never want to have him as a neighbor. But so he's annoying. such a good neighbor to him. <laughs> yeah, and he really comes out on top as like a real good guy. Like just a decent dude. He, at first when you meet him, he's just he's out watering his plants for some inexplicable reason. His hands are covered in dirt. So muddy. Like mud. <laughs> and he just comes over, shakes his hand. No one comments on the fact that his hands are muddy. He's just standing there rubbing them together. Maybe. Okay, this is just something that I've noticed. But immediately in Invites him for dinner. Yeah. He's desperate for a friend, I, right? I'm sure he is also very... I assume he's a divorcee. And then he finds out oh, Roger... Oh, okay. Yeah, and then Oh, he he's like, him, we could be buds, Yeah, man, he's like, yeah. we go watch sports and eat wings. <laughs> yeah. He is... Oh, he is desperate for a friend. And he is ready to like, let me buy you a dinner. I'll get you a burger. No big deal. Da, 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 da. Like, at first, it's almost like an apology because he talks about how crazy and baddie the old woman who used to live there was until he finds out that it was this guy's aunt. Lovely woman. Yeah, heart of gold. His, <laughs> his delivery on every single line in this movie is incredible. I They could not have hired a better person for this role. George Wentz, 
amazing. He's also, there's something so believable about him holding a shotgun and not wanting to be holding a shotgun. It's not, it's a harpoon gun that he's got to be using. He's like, you know how to use one of these? Like, oh yeah, of course, see one every day. What is it again? (laughs) (laughs) But he looks like he's never held a gun in his life. No, especially (laughs) since he's wearing like scuba gear while he's using it. (laughs) Oh boy. But at the first, at the first sign that something's wrong with Roger and that like he might be like in crisis, he's immediately reaching out to people to come and help. Yes, and the the crazy thing too is that like he doesn't really know him personally, but because Not at all. because he is kind of a public figure, he knows his wife, he calls her up. Yeah. Which is such a an interesting decision, especially for a movie. Um, one, it sets up a great scare because the wife comes to visit him and it turns out to be the witch ghost. So good. And we all think it's going to be actually the wife. Scared the shit out of you. I jumped so bad. <laughs> I jumped so bad. I told you I haven't seen it before. <laughs> uh, I've seen it once, but I was not expecting it. Yeah. But in, in any other scenario, like in real life, in any other film, you saw somebody running around in army fatigues and like blowing up things and making all of that kind of crazy racket. You'd be calling the police. Well, and just talking about ghosts and just like, yeah, we got to find these ghosts. Got to attack them. You know, this is what killed my aunts, what took my son. And uh, I think I'm going crazy. Like, Yeah. And, and he even says, too, like, I think your husband might be having an episode. Yeah. Which it's it's kind of, I don't know. There's something really heartwarming about that because, um, and we're, we're still not dealing with it properly, but PTSD was something that, like, did not happen. Yeah, we didn't even have a name for it. Yeah. It's like, oh, they got a little funny in the head over there. Yeah, Shell it's just like he got soft or whatever. But, like, yeah. yeah, there's just something so, I don't know. I think it's very honorable that he, as as maybe as much as maybe Roger would be embarrassed to find out that his wife was called. Mm-hmm. I mean, she knows him best. Yeah, and he's he's out there just, like, walking around with a shotgun, blowing it off at, like, I don't know, eight in the morning? Burying shit in the backyard. Yeah, like- oh, what's that? <laughs> a, hey, a garbage bag that looks like it has a body in it, and you're just digging holes in the middle of the afternoon? No, that's not erratic behavior whatsoever. <laughs> I love how oblivious Tanya is, too. Like, there is a full corpse hand reaching like, out of that bag, <laughs> and she's just like, I got this guy on a rope. I got him wrapped around my goddamn finger. He's not going to see what's coming when I bring his, my kid over to babysit later. <laughs> George Wench is the real hero of this movie. And one of the things I love, too, is that this isn't just a story that could all have taken place inside Roger's head. Like, it, you know, sure, his aunts have the same stuff, but, like, maybe it's hereditary, you know? Maybe they are they are both dealing with something that's in the family. But mm-hmm. fucking Harold, the neighbor, also sees these monsters. Yeah, that's that's the biggest validation, too, because a lot of the time in the movie... Roger sees like a creature's foot or a creature's hand and he's trying to hide it from whoever's come by to visit. But yeah, when the neighbor sees it, oh shit, this is real. Like what's in the closet is in the fucking closet. I I love that scene too when they're about to like rip open the closet door and they're just waiting there with all their gear and shit and the camera's just like slowly tracking along the rope that's leading up to the door and it's getting all tense and shit because Harry Manfredini knows how to build tension with that fucking score. I like this movie a lot is uh, is kind of what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I think it's really good. And uh, I'm happy we're here talking about it on the podcast. <laughs> I don't know why I had to get so serious Very there. Very well. Yeah. Sorry. Sometimes I just, I ramp myself up to like this cartoonish level and I don't know where to go from <laughs> there. Like, oh God, how do I decrease? <laughs> yeah. It's a good movie. We're getting toward the end. I think we've kind of covered all the bases. I've screamed enough into this microphone, but I do want to gush a little more 
about how fucking amazing Big Ben is. Big Ben is the coolest fucking monster in a haunted house movie ever. I don't, okay, second coolest, <laughs> next to Poltergeist. I can't, I can't forget the fact that we just talked uh, our asses off about how amazing Poltergeist and is. And asterisk, the Caterpupper in House 2. Okay, sure, <laughs> you know, like, we've all got our own personal opinions, but, you know, I <laughs> Okay, well, at least villain. We'll say villain, right? Oh, mm-hmm. uh, man, Big Ben's so goddamn cool. He's just, like, this decaying corpse who's still wearing his army fatigues and shit. Man, it's great. And I, I love, too, that, like, when Roger is trying to fight uh, his his personal demons, the demons that are in the house, he instinctively puts his military gear back on, which is real interesting because it also means that he brought it with him. Hmm. Maybe, maybe, oh, he is working on a book about his experience in Vietnam. Maybe that was always the plan, like, put the gear back on. Still weird. <laughs> Still a little weird, sure. <laughs> but, like, even, like, he... um. He's babysitting and he's got the, uh, he's, you know, he's got like a regular sweater on. He's working on his book as soon as he's that got a regular leaves, V-neck sweater on. <laughs> just, just a regular deep V-neck cut sweater down to like that first row of perfect abs, I guess. Right to the belly button. Yeah. That, that, by the way, that was the outfit he chose to wear while taking out the garbage. <laughs> Like, that's just, like, that's just regular Yeah, but he's Roger got that Cobb. hot neighbor who might be jogging by. <laughs> okay, so here, what we didn't see were the other two days where he saw her jogging, confirmed the next day that she goes by the every day at the same time, and then the third day made sure he was out at the end of the driveway. <laughs> this man's a psychopath. But after she picks up the kid and the kid goes home, he's back in his army fatigues right before he gets Harold to come over. Like, he's already changed back into them, and he's ready to fight. Uh, Big Ben, though, like, you can see his fucking, like, rib cage, his mouth. Uh, the, the animatronics on it are also great, because, like, there's no way that there isn't somebody there puppeting it. And damn, does it look cool. He's still got his fucking, like, bandolier belt on with all those bullets and shit. He's a very boy ghost, I will say. Okay, so I, is that ghost why I like boys. it a lot? Is, is that why I like it a lot? I mean, I, in general, really like the ghost designs, because they border more on monster than they do ghost most haunted house movies and maybe this is specifically because they were going for horror comedy Mm. they really went out there with the ghosts themselves and and ghosts is such a a weird term to give them because they are monsters yeah there's there's never a moment where you can't interact with them like they aren't apparitions right yeah like if you threw a tennis ball like it would bounce back and hit you in the face (laughs) (laughs) or and you can put a fucking grenade in their chest oh what a cool end um, he just like, and he blows apart into goddamn pieces. We didn't even mention the part where he rips off his fucking arm and then he just puts it back on like it's no problem. We did just now. Oh yeah, checking the box. <laughs> I uh, man, I love everything about the finale of this movie. I love all the matte painting shots where like Roger's just like dangling from like the, where, what should be the kitchen but is oh, now a cliffside. So good. That's great. So good. Doors to nowhere. Mwah. Yeah, and th- <laughs> just like. The interactions that he has with Big Ben toward the end are are awesome, and like they really bring in the whole like him grappling with his his uh, his PTSD with with Vietnam, and how Big Ben's like, "You let me fucking die out there. They torture me for weeks." And and Roger sort of throws back at him like, "Hey man, I would have died for you." He's like, "Well, you can do it right now, Roger. Die for your kid." Oh man, it's you're like giving you're giving there. me you're giving me a face right now, but I can't help it. I am transported. I've been watching the movie for thirty years, and it's like a a plus movie every single time. And I can tell by the look on your face, you feel the same way. <laughs> I've been watching this movie for two years, and it is good. <laughs> pretty good. <yeah. laughs> 
Oh, Big Ben, though. What a horrible... He is... He's some, like, real awful villain guy because he kidnaps his son. <laughs> like, he... Yeah. He I... kidnaps his son and holds him prisoner for years. He doesn't even send him, like, a taunting message like, hey, Roger, I got your kid. That's gotta just be the house, though. Like, maybe he's just tasked to be the keeper of of the kid because he's got the personal connection or something because, like, ma- that house seems really interested in just catching kids. <laughs> Yeah, real good point. Like maybe the house just that. wants kids. It's not eating them. It just wants to keep them. So is this partly just like exploitation of poltergeist? They're exploitation. Just, yeah, right? They're just like... Kidnap exploitation. Yeah, like why, why, why do ghosts want kids? Like, I don't know, but poltergeist made like $180 million opening weekend, so maybe we should just not ask any fucking questions, Put Steve. it in the closet. <laughs> yeah. One thing I didn't mention that I did kind of really want to call out to is especially discovering this later and now like in the 20 20s 20s yeah the new millennium (laughs) is how reminiscent this feels of like early peter jackson okay and i i got like total like dead alive vibes and even frighteners uh the frighteners which is like a very 90s but like the ghosts and stuff they they're kind of a merge between like classic ghosts that are transparent and then like creature creatures yeah and yeah like remind especially in house two like house two the ghosts very much remind me of the frighteners and I even got a little bit of Army of Darkness when Roger goes into the Netherworld or whatever. Oh, sure, with that like flying fucking like skeleton pterodactyl bat. monster. Yes. Yeah, skeleton bat. Yeah, there's he's so like many... fucking whipping that shotgun around too, right? There's so many great creature designs that just so fully embody like the '80s, '90s that you cannot help but see those other movies in all of those designs. And I definitely think that's what's helped make this movie fucking timeless, right? Like, it's, this movie kicks so much ass, and it's just hitting on all fronts. Man, I, 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 it's no surprise that in House 2 they, they explored that ethereal world a little more. Um, it was really sort of smart of them to tease it a bit, because, like, to introduce that and then not fully explore it almost seems like a waste. But, like, it would be too much movie for this movie. Exactly. Yeah. You wouldn't have the personal journey if you went and spent too much time yeah. in the space. And the fact that it's, like, black everywhere, but, like, for some demony monsters. And when he, and especially when he lands in Vietnam again, like, I do get the impression that it's sort of a blank void that they then just put whatever f- scares you the most in. Blech. Yeah. Sounds like the worst escape room ever. <laughs> so, with all of that in mind, Kim, how would you rate House? Well, as I said, I am not nostalgic for this movie. That's fine. I only saw it for the first time a couple years ago, and we revisited it again for this podcast. And we own it on Blu-ray. Fuck yeah, we do. <laughs> but I think it's just as enjoyable. And this is kind of very rare. Normally when I watch a movie that I, I find a lot of people have nostalgia for... I don't like it as much initially, not because I'm like, this is actually crap, Mm -hmm. but because you don't have those rose-colored glasses for it. Yeah, I mean, like, nostalgia movies are always talked up a bunch too, right? Yeah, and this film is surprisingly super fun because... It has all of the tenets of a nostalgic movie. It's got crazy 80s character design. It's larger than life. It's got ghosts. It's got characters doing dumb shit. And tonally, it's just all over the place, but it still works. But it just, it's just fucking fun. Yeah. And that's exactly what it's selling, and it delivers on all fronts. Oh, yeah, totally. So. And just like the coolest goddamn poster in the world, am I right? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) 1,000%. So, 
I'm sad I don't have a nostalgia bump for oh, it. Oh, don't worry about it. Because even without my rating is uh, 3.5 out of 4. Oh, right on. Yeah. <laughs> so I, 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 that that's that blows my mind a little bit because even with my nostalgia bump, I guess it's still a 3.5 out of 4 for me. Oh, wow. I'm not really the, a nostalgia guy. Like, I, And so like it's hard, it's hard for me to say, like, I don't have nostalgia for this movie. I only grew up watching it my entire fucking life. But, like, when I when I watch it, I don't know. <laughs> maybe I do. <laughs> maybe maybe I do. But, I mean, there are plenty of movies that I loved as a kid that I've revisited that I'm just like, yeah. Like, I could, I could feel my, my bones saying, yeah, this movie's good. My Put brain's... it on again, John. <laughs> yeah, but. You want to go back to the house. Like, movies like The Rocketeer. You know, like, I, oh, man, did I love The Rocketeer growing up. I don't even know what and that when is. And when I put the, and it's got some scary stuff in it kind of, too. It's like fucking, like, the rocket jetpack guy fighting Nazi. Season Hollywood. That's oh, that's got some stuff that I like. Okay, so, so my heart is, is your rating like, is three point five. Ben? My rating is three point five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So the verdict is in. Poltergeist wins, but I think this game was rigged. House is- <laughs> I, I, I think no matter what, we were never going to give House a rating as as high as Poltergeist. House is not far behind, though. But yeah, Poltergeist is a perfect film. Poltergeist is perfect. Tweet at us and let us know your thoughts of these two films at NOFS Podcast on Twitter. You can find us in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash horror fiends of NOFS. Nightmare on Film Street is officially part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, but it is still listener-supported by fiends like yourself. To support the show and to enjoy hours of bonus content, head over to patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street. We're also going to be hosting a live stream this Saturday, if you're listening to this the day that it comes out. We're going to be watching a ghosty movie on a Netflix party. Again, all that information's over on Patreon. And don't forget to enter our September giveaway at nofspodcast.com slash haunt. We are giving away a copy of Nightmare, the board game from like the early 90s. Oh, that and like 400 other dollars worth of prizes. And a ton of other cool stuff. But until next time, I'm John. Um, Kim? Stay Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive. But we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website, nofspodcast.com. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.